the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, we do so as we do most Mondays by checking in with Brandon Weikert. Brandon J. Weikert goes uh, hunting often, but when he uh, does go hunting, he's always hunting for bear. His uh, He is the author of many books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked. China's race to control life. He is a columnist with the Asia Times. He just had a piece published on Biden's mission from God, is what it's called. Biden's mission from God, taking NATO straight to hell. And a piece at Law and Liberty, an increasingly uh, important website. More than just a balloon. We'll get to it all. Brandon, welcome back. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks for asking. You bet. You bet. Where do you want to start? You want to start with... uh, Let's let, let's start with let's start with Russia and, uh, yeah. and and the NATO taking NATO straight to hell. Uh, the the big story yeah. today is about F 16s But tell us what you're getting out in your yeah. most recent Asia Times piece. Yeah, well, basically, uh, Biden for the last year has said repeatedly that NATO's mission is quote sacred, and um, you know, basically, when you start talking in these sort of you know new religious or quasi-religious terms as a world leader in the middle of a conflict that kind of starts to narrow your options in terms of, you know, conflict termination, peaceful negotiation, you know, things like that. It starts to really antagonize and militate your enemies against you even more than they were, and it certainly starts to prevent you and your side from being willing to negotiate with a supposedly apostate or unbelieving uh, force like the Russians. We view them as the devil. And, uh, you know, the Russians certainly aren't the good guys here, that's for sure. But, um, you know, we need to be careful that we don't start to apply these bizarre postmodern religious concepts onto NATO, which is really nothing more than a defensive multilateral alliance, uh, military alliance, that's now being, you know, mutated into what I refer to in the article as a self-licking ice cream pill. Uh, you know, basically, uh, after the Cold War ended, NATO was a multilateral, multilateral defensive military alliance without a mission. The Soviet Union was gone. So it metamorphed into, well, we're going to have to still worry about the Russians. Okay, fine. But what does that mean? And then part of worrying about the Russians meant they were going to keep expanding NATO, Um, And while I'll be the first to say that it takes two to tango and Russia has a lot of the blame in this current conflict as well, we do too. And part of the blame is specifically, not just NATO expansion generally, because Putin and and the Russian elite learned to live with a lot of the NATO expansion until 2008. It was 2008, and I point this out in the article, Fiona Hill herself, who is a never-Trump Republican who was part of the George W. Bush administration on the National Intelligence Council. Uh, She was then uh, John Bolton's aide for Eurasia and Russian affairs on the National Security Council for Trump. She testified against Trump. She's no lover of Trump. But she, in 2008, and she repeated it many times over the last several years, she warned George W. Bush and Dick Cheney that, hey, if you openly say you're going to even think about allowing Ukraine and Georgia 
into NATO, that's going to trigger some kind of military response from the Russians. That is a red line that Moscow, no matter who's in charge, whether it's Stalin, Yeltsin, or Putin, they're not going to let that flop. And two months after that meeting she had with George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, the Russians invaded Georgia. Now here we are, a decade later, the Russians are doing what they're doing in Ukraine because the same types of people who were pushing for Ukrainian accession into NATO back then and in the Obama years are now running the show in the Biden administration, people like Victoria Nuland. And it's going to get a lot of, it already has, it's going to get more people killed. And when NATO says these things, like we'll, we'll only think about negotiating with Russia to end the conflict if they allow for, the, for, for Ukraine to come back in, to come into NATO, that's not going to create the conditions for peace. That's only going to exacerbate problems. It's going to force Russia to go harder into Ukraine, and it's going to also force them to push for greater Chinese involvement in their war, which they are doing, and the Chinese are more than happy to do. Uh, and so this is a really silly thing. That, that Biden has done, and it all gets back to this theory of his that NATO is a sacred alliance. This isn't just a, a useful tool for us uh, militarily and geopolitically, but it's become this elevated into this sort of religious experience, and it's, it's very dangerous. And that's, that's why we're in the position we're in, and I argue that in the, in the peace. There will be no peace in our time as long as we think like this. It's why also we're here. It has nothing to do with an accident or a misunderstanding. This was a choice. A choice by us and a choice by Russia. Bad choice is all. You know, it dawns on me, uh, however one wants to invest in NATO uh, with moral or other language, Keliastic, Millenarian, you name it. It's also (laughs) eminently true that you don't have to be a member of NATO to be an ally of the United States. Right. Right. Well, think about Japan and South Korea. Yeah, or any, uh, any know, number of countries, countries in the Middle East. Yes, right. There's there's no there's no similar entity yet in Asia to NATO, and yet we have very good, strong, close relations, as strong if not stronger, uh, with Japan than we do with NATO. Um, and we have understandings, and we have all these things that that allow for the mutual defense to take place, and for some degree of security to be provided mutually. Uh, by the two sides, the bilateral agreement as opposed to a multilateral agreement. Um, that may change over time, although I don't know. Um, but when it comes to NATO, you know, it's still in existence. We still have Article 5. A year ago, I was convinced, and, and recently you and I talked about this, and I think I said this to you, you know, Putin is an imperialist, like every Russian leader, whether they were Soviet or Romanov, it didn't matter. They were imperialists. That's the Russian mentality. And so the Russians are always going to be probing with bayonets, hitting mush, and only stopping when they hit steel. But last year, Putin hit steel when he tried to take key. Mm-hmm. The Ukrainians were able to stop him. That was the moment that everyone in the West should have said, okay, we made our point. The Russians are looking for an out now. We've humiliated them. Let's give them an out. Let's secure peace, and let's rebuild. But we didn't do that. We thought we could break the Russian army in the field. The problem is when you start trying to break a nuclear great powers army in the field through a proxy war, you risk that nuclear great power possibly breaking you in the field. And so now, because we've overcommitted and overextended ourselves in Ukraine via NATO, now NATO's very capabilities are called into question, which might invite the kind of attack that NATO was designed to deter in the first place from Russia and their partners in China and Iran. Well, one wonders, um, you know, the, the the eternal question, or at least eternal since World War One, maybe World War Two more so. 
is, you know, will the United States go to war for X? Uh, will we go to war for country Y? Will we go to war for country Z? And, of course, the the, the articles of NATO, particularly Article 5, uh, were, 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 were an answer or supposed to be an answer to that question. And one looks at who those well, – how many countries are there? 29, 30 now, something like that? One looks, yeah. one looks at some of those countries and one has to wonder if, if NATO exists almost in some respects in name only. I mean I'm, I'm hoping we're as good as our treaties and our obligations. But if someone had to make the case to go to war for Turkey or Lithuania, I, it, would be, it, would be a, it would be a heavy lift in this country, I'm guessing. Yes, yes, it would. But we are obligated with those those NATO of course. members much more so than we were for Ukraine. Of course, and so and so yes, it would be a heavy lift possibly. But we're sort of you know we're sort of obligated, and if we don't do it, it's going to be a big problem for the whole world. Well, NATO disappears, uh, and yes, of course, yeah, and, and which of course, of course, now those steps NATO might disappear anyway. Well, that's what I'm we, wondering. Yeah, 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 and so um, you know the, the problem is though. We really, really overshot with Ukraine, and now we're going to pay the price one way or the other. Because Ukraine, yes, defend it. We should have, and we did. But don't stay there indefinitely. Don't turn this into another forever war. This is what we tend to do, the Washington elite. And so now we're going to have to face one way or the other the question, can NATO survive? And I don't think it can now, even if somehow we're able to win Ukraine. I don't think we're going to win Ukraine, by the way. But even if we were able to... Can NATO maintain this tempo, especially with some of these revelations coming out about how we may or may not have blown up the Nord Stream pipeline, which is an attack on a NATO member like Germany? I mean, there's a lot of issues now that are being highlighted negatively that no matter what are going to call into question the long-term existence and feasibility of NATO. France is already demanding that, that Ukraine go to Beijing and meet with the Chinese leadership to help them or help them help negotiate a settlement. Germany is backing France's play. France and Germany are two of the biggest members of the NATO alliance on the continent of Europe, and they are clearly very, very reticent to stay remaining following America's, you know, lead on this issue in Ukraine. So already the divisions are there. Turkey, the divisions are there. They're looking for a third way out of this conflict so they can focus on going after Greece, a fellow NATO member. All right, let me do this. Let me take a quick break and let me throw at you when we come back what I see as the, um, as I guess what philosophers would call insufficient options and, and see if you can unwind them. I had a call from a friend of mine the other day who was just asking me, all right, just straight shot. What do we do about Ukraine? And I, and I, I Brandon, you're, you're much clearer on this than I am. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll give you my my thinking when we come back, and I'll let you fix it, clarify it, instruct it, condemn it, uh, or embrace it. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Brandon uh, Weikert is our guest. He is the author of uh, several important books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life, spending some time on the Russia-Ukraine thing. Brandon, let me tell you what I told my friend who, who asked me for my, my, my clearest answer to what do we do now. And and you just unwind it any way you want. But I, I said, look, I, I happen to think we might be in one of the most precarious situations we've been in since the Cuban Missile Crisis. 
I said, um, you know, this is a lesson on the importance of leadership. I don't think it would have happened with a strong president rather than a weak trumpet on the walls of Jericho here. I think Mm -hmm. Afghanistan was instructive. I think the kind of talk Joe Biden was uh, giving as president was instructive. I think we cannot ignore the Munich analogies, which couldn't have been more prescient than a dictator invading a otherwise uh, otherwise non-aggressive or innocent country. Once we're there, though, the question becomes, what do you do when you're up against a nuclear power? Once you're there, namely in this case, Russia, once you're there, if we retreat, the message is awful. If we stay we escalate. Um, so I, I, I believe we've 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 punched. We, we've walked. We've slow walked ourselves into quicksand and have no way of getting out. And whether we sw- sink or whether we swim uh, are both bad answers. I suppose we have the tail of the wolf and don't know whether to hold on or let go. The best I can do is I don't have an answer, but it's lousy all the way around. And it's the lesson on what the import of American powerful leadership is. How how did you're, how did I do? I think I think you're 100 percent correct, and I think that your audience needs to understand that there will be no peace. Okay, that that's it. That there is no negotiation because exactly what you said. We are now completely in this really awkward position where if we leave, uh, you know, it's going to create a mess that's going to kill NATO. And yeah, yeah. yeah. If we, if we leave, Taiwan is about Ukraine, but I think Ukraine is about Afghanistan, so to speak. I agree. Okay. I agree. But at the same time, if we stay, we escalate just by staying alone, right. we, we escalate. Right. The problem is when you escalate, now you're talking nuclear war. Right. And there are people there saying it's not going to go nuclear, it's not going to go nuclear. I, I don't agree. I think that if if the Russians are in a position, and John Mearsheimer said this recently, if the Russians are in a position where they're going to conventionally lose the war, they're absolutely going, they're not going to use nukes on NATO, likely. They're going to use nukes in Ukraine, right. um, and which will then... Who knows where we go from there? But what, I, what I'm here to tell your audience is, A, there is no law. I, I wish there were. There's a very clear peace agreement that's very easy to be done, but nobody wants to do it. So, and the longer that we wait, the, the less likely any of the sides will be able to negotiate because of how mobilization is working, just like World War I. So now we're now in a position where we're stuck in Ukraine. We're draining and depleting our resources, our, our, our capabilities in Ukraine. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to escalate? We're going to send those 10,000 troops we have in Poland across the border. That's been hinted at. Are we going to do that? Because how's that? How are the Russians going to react? And we already do have U.S. forces fighting covertly there. That is a guaranteed fact. And so what's going to happen when we start escalating? This thing's going to become World War III, and it is not a guarantee that this, this war can be won by the United States, especially when you look at what Russia is going to do in retaliation if we actually directly intervene. And I'm not just talking about cyber attacks, because they've actually been very reserved in their cyber attacks Russia has been against us. I'm talking about space attacks. I'm talking about nuclear attacks. You talk about any kind of attack on the United States, the Russians have the capability. And at that point, once we do something to escalate and we're directly involved, they're not going to hesitate. Because at that point, as Putin's already said, this is a war of, of survival for the Russian state. And in many respects, that's what it will become. And so... Um, you know, we're in this position. I would argue at this rate, um, you know, there is, in a perfect world, we would say, okay, we're backing out, that this is it. And we take the hit, and that's that. Because the alternative is we're going to nuclear war. 
The alternative is critical infrastructure in the United States falls under attack. Maybe we can retaliate. Maybe we can mess up Russia as well. But then we're still going to have to deal with China. We're still going to have to deal with Iran. We're still going to have to deal with North Korea. And don't pretend, as D.C. is pretending, don't fall for the, 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 uh, the, the false argument that these powers are not operating together. They are absolutely coordinating together. They coordinate closer and closer with each day, which means that if we, we commit ourselves fully to Ukraine and we risk World War III, and we already are, and we're already on that path, but if we cross that threshold, you're then going to have to deal with China taking advantage of the Taiwan situation because we'll be distracted. You'll have to deal with whatever's going to happen in the Middle East with Iran. And then you're going to have to deal with North Korea, which has already proven it now has more nuclear missiles capable of hitting the West Coast of the United States than what our air defense systems can defend against. Not to say nothing of all the hypersonic technology that China and Russia have at their disposal. So we have a big problem. We are now completely outmatched. We've got Chinese, all kinds of Chinese aerial equipment overflying the United States. We've got all kinds of weakness that we're exhibiting. You're absolutely right about the weak leadership. This would not have happened under Trump at all. Um, uh, and, and we have also, by the way, and maybe this is a little bit of a ding on Trump, we have now finally the intelligence agencies admitting that, which I've been telling your audience since March 2020, that COVID came from a Chinese lab. And this is the basis, as you know, of my next book, Biohack, which is coming out May 16th. You can pre-order it on Amazon. But I get into the details in that book of just what exactly is going on with the intelligence community, with NIH, with the Chinese biotech and bioweapons development. They hit us with a bioweapon in 2020, and we did nothing in response other than make some funny memes about it. We destroyed Oh, no, own. we did more than that. We apologized well, and, and defended right. them. But, but we, we def- and we, we destroyed our own economy, right. which was the point. Right. Right. That was the point of the attack. Right. right. And so, so the Chinese aren't afraid of us. The Iranians certainly aren't afraid of us. And the Russians, clearly, they're in a position where they, whether they're afraid of us or not is irrelevant. They think this is a war for survival. Yeah. So now you've got three very nasty powers. There is no point of coming down from this. No, I, I, that's what I, I – we are at the edge of a cliff here. And, 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 and I mean, the analogies fail because – it seems the options just aren't good. I mean, if we did walk away, if we did uh, leave Ukraine, I mean, that that's exactly the message China's looking for right now to find out if we have what it takes to stay or not. It's exactly the dipstick that uh, that Putin was testing. And of course, Iran and others. I think one of the things I have to take a break. Maybe we yeah. can talk about this when we come back. I think one of the things Putin has done very well, and we rarely look at this well, and we rarely look at this uh, seriously enough, is how foreign powers use public opinion in America and view public opinion in America. And sure. I think that's where Biden also doubled down on the problem there, because. Well, I'll pick up on this when I come back, but it's about American public opinion and our ability to stay uh, increase, decrease. It's about where American public opinion is on our aid to Ukraine. And I want to talk to you about that when we come back. Brandon Weikert is our guest, columnist, Asia Times, America Greatness, Washington Times, author of all these important books, folks, that, uh, yes, if you want to know what the headlines will be six months from now, just listen to Brandon Weikert today. That's what I say about him because it's true. We'll be right back. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Uh, talk about public opinion for a moment and our support uh, for Ukraine. Uh, Brandon, it seems to me this is another mess 
that Joe Biden has put himself in. He wants, obviously, as much support any president would for anything he does, much less when we go um, abroad. Um, But it seems to me that a lot more support would apply, would abide here if Joe Biden weren't so callous about some of our own problems. The biggest dissent, I suppose, right now is in the American right on this issue, I think. That's fair to say. And I bet it would be somewhat attenuated had we taken the border seriously or, I mean, even something like East Palestine. East Palestine. I, I, it just seems to me Joe Biden has done an awful lot to make it look like he cares more about them than he does us. And if he showed a little more um, conscientiousness towards America's domestic policy, he would have more support for his foreign policy. Agree with it or not the foreign policy. I don't know if you think there's something to that. To him being weak? Absolutely. I think that the the, the weakness has... I mean, and you're right. There's a direct line between Afghanistan and Ukraine that without that chess piece... And I wrote this in 2021 at Real Player World. uh, It was called the Eurasian Steel Trap... Uh, the Eurasian Steel Trap closes, um, and it's, it was a piece in which I said that Russia and China form what I call the jaws of autocracy in Eurasia, and by us, and we needed to pull down from Afghanistan, but the way in which we did it was so ridiculous that it sent a signal to Moscow, to Iran, to uh, uh, Russia, that it's open season on the United States. Yeah. And the failure of the Biden administration to handle that or to handle, as you note, the border crisis, which is really a straightforward crisis. Yep. All Biden had to do was say, we're going to complete the wall. I don't he know why he that, couldn't have done something more than what right. he's done. I mean, that's just, right. Yeah. And, you know, or, or even something as simple as dealing with, with East, I guess, East Palestine. I've been calling it Palestine the whole yeah. time. Uh, with East Palestine, uh, Ohio. Being there, I mean, if he was so gung-ho about sending cash to Ukraine, why couldn't he have just, you know, Venmoed it or something and actually gone to gone to Ohio to, to be a president of the United States right. rather than a president of Europe? Right. Um, so, uh, you know, he, but all that, you're right, it sends a signal, the wrong kind of signal, that America is led by an idiot uh, and a naif and that with open season. And so why would any of these powers run by bullies and, and you know, autocrats wanted to deal to deal with the United States if they don't respect us, if they don't respect the guy in the Oval Office, and they don't, if they don't respect the people who's surrounding him. Remember, his top national security advisor, the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, boy wonder, told the Aspen Security Conference last summer or last year that, quote, I didn't know what a supply chain was until I became national security advisor. Holy cow. Right. This is a guy who graduated supposedly from Yale. Frankly, the Ivy Leagues aren't sending us their best case. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, this is who and then and the Russians and the Chinese, they know this. They read our newspapers. They study our media. They know exactly what is being said about Biden by his political opponents here. They know also what his political party's doing. And they look at things like domestic agenda. They look at things like how effective he is on the world stage. And they, they measure that as part of their national power assessments of the United States and how far they think they can push us. And they, my friend, unfortunately, have figured they can push us quite a bit because we've got a sclerotic commander in chief, a ditzy vice president, uh, you know, an immature uh, national security advisor and an out of touch uh, secretary of state. And you run down the line, an idiotic, um, inept uh, Secretary of Transportation, any major... You haven't even gotten to the press secretary yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, any major crisis we've dealt with under Biden has been shambolic. We haven't handled it. And then he's lying about the economy, like Pravda. I mean, there's literally no truth. They lied about COVID. They lied about the efficacy of masks and vaccines and all that. They lie about uh, the, 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 the war in Ukraine, that it would be this easy, quick, easy thing. They lied about the, the, the brilliance of the Afghan pullout. Everything this government has told the American people has been a lie, and it has made everything worse in this country. And it has made us a very easy target for very nasty powers who have no compunction about pushing us around now because they don't fear us. I got to take one more break. When we yeah. come back, we'll talk about your China piece. But just real quick on the way to the break, seems the only person I actually, I don't want to say enjoy listening to, but he sounds competent whenever he talks. And it seems to be the only person in this administration who does is Admiral Kirby. Do you agree with me on that? I mean, we may not see eye to eye, but at least kind he of. seems... So- okay, kind of. Fair enough. We'll take kind of. Okay. Yeah, that's the C-team there, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> we don't grade on a curve. I am Seth Leaps, and he is Brandon Weikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I want to talk to Brandon Weikert about his peace and law and liberty more than just a balloon. But go ahead if you want to fill that out a little bit, Brandon. Whenever you say something, it's important. When I said Kirby seems to be the only competent person in this administration, at least seems to make some sense or at least speak somewhat clearly when he's on TV. You said kind of, if you want to fill that out. I, well, he was a very unimpressive uh, student in the University of South Florida. Yeah. Uh, he's been open about that. Um, he's not exactly somebody you want to go to for deep discourses on international relations okay. theory. Right. Um, and, you know, he's a shill for the Democratic Party, and that's what he is. He's a Democrat operative who wears a uniform. Okay. Um, he seems like a nice guy. I mean, I, you know, I don't have any personal animus toward him, but I respect that he served. Uh, but, you know, he, he is not um, a very um, uh, heartening or impressive individual when it comes to dealing with actual issues. Okay. I would say he's on the level of a Marie Hart. Ah, okay. So, you know, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, you know. well, with this administration, you know, we do, you know, I said we don't grade on a curve, but with this administration, you may have to. You may, you may just have to. You can't because our enemies aren't. No, that's a fair point. All right. Talk to me about more than just a balloon. China. <laughs> well, we haven't talked well, about I, this in a while. Yeah. So basically, you know, I was asked by Law and Liberty to, to do a deep dive on what exactly was going on. And on the one hand, it was just a balloon. Uh, what we shot down over the Atlantic Ocean, it was a Huawei sensor. I think I said this to you before. It was considered an endo-atmospheric satellite. Yep. Um, but basically, it is more than a balloon. First of all, technologically, it indicates that China is really becoming brazen in their, in their desire to gain real-time, actionable intelligence on U.S. capabilities, not just overseas, but more dangerously, more ominously, you know, in the American Midwest. Mm -hmm. Um, They're also targeting specifically American nuclear missile silos. They're targeting the low Earth orbiting satellites that coordinate our military units in the United States. They also, the same day that that balloon crossed into the United States, January 28th, was the same day that Japanese researchers uh, in Hawaii photographed this eerie image of green lasers beaming down from space scanning the Pacific and scanning Hawaii. Turns out that was from a Chinese research satellite that I've been tracking since 2021, uh, that constellation. It is a dual-use constellation. China says it's for scientific, topographical, and volcanic research. But what that can do in wartime or in a a surveillance-type setting is those lasers can be used to track 
in real time U.S. naval submarines as they're running silent, running deep. This, is, this balloon was part of a larger mission to collect a lot of data to test American response times to the penetrations. And frankly, we failed across the board. We eventually shot that balloon down set after it crossed the whole of the United States and they ended up over the Atlantic. And then we shot down the sensor part. We didn't shoot the balloon part. We shot down the part with all the equipment on it that we could have captured and used and figured out what were they doing. And then in uh, the same time that was going on in northern Alaska, we shot down a, quote, car-sized um, uh, high-flying object. The Pentagon has been attempting to cover that one up because the Sidewinder $450,000 per pop missile couldn't lock on. That's not just a balloon. That isn't also little green men. That's a more sophisticated, likely some kind of high-flying Chinese drone. Then there was the issue over Lake Huron, which, again, F-16s responded and attempted to shoot down this octagonal craft over Lake Huron uh, and uh, had to use Sidewinder missiles that had difficulty locking on. Why did they have difficulty locking on? The official story is, oh, it's because they're balloons and Sidewinders are designed for heat-seeking missiles. I have heard from people that I trust within the DOD who said, in fact, the, these two vehicles uh, were using active sensors to deflect the locking mechanism uh, or the honing-in mechanism on those, on those uh, Sidewinder missiles. So what we have here now is not just one incident, but we have multiple incidents. In fact, you can make the argument that the balloon was probably a distraction to the larger, more sophisticated penetrations that were going on. And this has been going on for years because I was called out to a military installation two summers ago to address what were they seeing on their radar. So this has been going on for several, several years under the Biden administration. And the fact that the Biden administration did nothing uh, is only an indicator to China that, A, they can do this all over again and they can do it with increasing hostility and tempo. And B, they probably now have some kind of exotic next generation level technology, whether it's propulsion, metamaterial or, uh, you know, just a better drone that can evade our tracking systems until the last minute and possibly not just take pictures and soak up intelligence, but maybe deliver some kind of weapon as well. And that should be the real concern, because if it's hypersonic or some kind of new propulsion system that China has, our air defense systems are not going to be able to respond in a timely enough manner if it's carrying a weapon. When we talk about some of the footage we see, video otherwise, of, uh, of, of these unidentified flying objects and the speculation of, of, of these kinds of crafts that leave kind of American military leaders, you know, unable to answer. They, they tell us things like, well, they're doing maneuvers we, we have never seen before. We didn't think were, were, were mechanically or aeronautically right. or humanly possible. Well, maybe they are in China. Maybe they are. Huh? Yeah. You know. Well, they have the largest hypersonic. I said this in the article. They have the largest hypersonic wind tunnel that they can build and test actual hypersonic vehicles that can go up to Mach 30. We don't have anything like that. Fun fact. We do <laughs> not have anything like that. The, naval, the Navy has the most sophisticated hypersonic testing facility that I'm aware of in the United States, and it can do Mach 11, I think, and they can't build full prototypes. They have to build them in small amounts because it's not big enough. Now, they're trying to expand that, but the fact of the matter is we are behind in hypersonics. And, and that's just a fact, and no scientist in America will admit that, but that's a fact. 
And then you look at the meta materials. Shane Todd was murdered in 2012 in Singapore, working for a Huawei subsidiary. He realized, oh my gosh, Huawei's trying to capture meta materials and they're trying to use American scientists like me to help them do it. He didn't know. He was murdered the eve before he tried to flee the country, go back home to the States. Why? Because they're, they have been for years, China, in a race with us to capture and dominate metamaterials, things like graphene, uh, that are, you know, think of like the, the kind of alloy you see on the Starship Enterprise. That's what they're trying to build, and they're very lightweight. They're also the race for new forms of propulsion sets. Now, we're also trying to build them out, but the Chinese have a much better disciplined a workforce and a vision for what they're trying to do than we do. We do it because we think it's interesting. We do it because we think it might yield some kind of money in the future. The Chinese are doing it because they want to beat the Americans. Yeah. Well, okay, that gives a whole different incentive. I, I, knowing what you know, I just don't know how you sleep, Brandon, but I am so glad. Well, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you don't. Fair enough. I don't. <laughs> he, he also operates with mechanisms unknown to, uh, <laughs> unknown to our technology. Brandon Weikert, you are wonderful. Thank you for I spending understand. some of your Mondays with us. Absolutely. We appreciate it so much. Yeah, be, yeah, absolutely. You bet, Joe. God bless you. We'll talk to you in about a week. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. You bet. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be right back. A lot of you have heard me talk about why refi for a while now, and if you still have some questions about what it means to invest with them, they would love for you to give them a call, and they will happily put you in touch with any number of their many satisfied customers in the Phoenix area who have invested with them and done quite well. Their phone number is 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. They want me to ask you also how your IRA is doing. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds? And you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y-R-E-F-Y.com. We're in a Awfully odd period. Encomiums to Jimmy Carter will probably be coming uh, in the not-too-distant future, and there will be a lot of reanalyzing his presidency, including his foreign policy, uh, which was known at the time and I think still until the revisions have been coming as a massive failure, uh, projecting American fecklessness as well as American weakness. Um, and you think about some of the stuff Brandon's talking about, and you th- and and you're reminded of what Shakespeare said. You can't say this is the worst if you can say this is the worst. You thought you couldn't do worse than the Jimmy Carter administration, um, meaning no aspersions on the man himself, of course, just the presidency, of course. Um, you think you couldn't do worse than that? It looks like we are doing far worse than that. I remember when uh, Ronald Reagan came to office in the immediate aftermath of the Carter presidency, uh, Jim Kirkpatrick, his ambassador to the United Nations, gave a speech at what would change in American foreign policy. And she said, well, we have taken in America, we have taken the kick me sign uh, off our back. And someone asked her, does that mean if the United States is kicked, it will kick back? And Jim Kirkpatrick said, not necessarily, but it does mean 
we won't apologize. Uh, it seems to me we're apologizing to all the wrong people, uh, except to the very people who pay the taxes to keep this country and this best hope of Earth strong and our allies safe. We can't seem to do either, listening to Brandon. We can't keep our country song, uh, strong and we can't keep our allies safe. It's an awfully precarious position to be in because it doesn't get better. It doesn't get better. It only gets worse. And if you think this is as bad as it can get, you can't say it's the worst if you can say it's the worst. All right, a little literature there with foreign policy. Until tomorrow, folks, have a great rest of your Monday afternoon and evening. I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.